mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up, the Supreme Court will hear arguments today in a Mississippi abortion case that some believe could lead to a reversal of Roe v. Wade. At a minimum, it will be the most significant test of President Trump's conservative reshaping of the court. Also this morning, Thanksgiving weekend saw the return of holiday travel in a big way, but will it be a one-off for the season, or is America back to being a nation on the move? In our ongoing Keeping the Faith series, life's smallest decisions can have the greatest impact, but God's Word assures us that it's never too late to make U-turns. And the Hancock Historical Museum is getting into the spirit of the season with events and programs in the month of December. We'll get details. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, December 1st, 2021. So we are past Black Friday, uh, we get past Small Business Saturday, Cyber Monday is in the books, Giving Tuesday yesterday. The data is in uh, on the first big shopping uh, weekend of the season, and uh, we mentioned yesterday that uh, the numbers indicate Black Friday was uh, down a bit, actually, and it's it was like the uh, first time ever black friday spending had been down uh year over year when there's a big increase in, expected this year in holiday giving and yet black friday spending was down uh and it appears cyber monday same deal adobe analytics says shoppers uh spent 10.7 billion dollars on cyber monday which is a lot but that's a decrease of 1.4% from last year, the first decline ever for Cyber Monday. Uh, it was still the busiest e-commerce shopping day of 2021. They say between 11 p.m. and midnight Eastern Time, shoppers spent about $12 million every minute. $12 million a minute was spent on Cyber Monday, Adobe Digital Insights Director Taylor Schreiner said in a statement with early deals in October, consumers are not waiting around for the discounts on big shopping days like Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Uh, this is f- further fueled by growing awareness of supply chain challenges and product availability, which has spread out e-commerce spending across the months of October and November. So not only... Uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, but throughout the month of November and even into October. And that puts us on track for a season that will still break online shopping records, even though Cyber Monday spending itself was down. And in case you're wondering, some of the top sellers on Cyber Monday, Hot Wheels, video games, and uh, personal electronics like Apple Watches and laptops were the big sellers. You know, Um, by the way, speaking of uh, holiday shopping, more Americans turning to buy now, pay later options for their holiday shopping this year, opting to choose debt rather than just pay for their gifts outright. Uh, Companies such as Affirm, Afterpay, Klarna, Quadpay and Sezzle allow shoppers to pay for their purchases in a series of installments typically interest-free, unlike loans or credit card debt. So if you're not going to pay it all at once, which is the best option, it's probably a better option to put it 
uh, to use these buy now, pay later options as opposed to whipping out the credit card and racking up uh, fees at 23% interest or whatever. However, and we've talked about this before, a lot of times people get themselves into trouble with these buy now, pay later options because it's something like half or more of those installment plans are past due. And they're not charging interest, so I don't know. I've never used them, so I don't know how they make money, especially when people become late in repaying uh, those those options. But anyway, uh, of these services, Klarna has seen the largest increase in aggregate spending leading into the holiday season, according to this study, which was released last week by the consumer data research firm Cartify. So, interesting. Uh, So, good idea, at least not to uh, get yourself into trouble with interest, but uh, make sure that you're able to pay back your, or pay off your buy now, pay later obligations. Message there. Christmas fast approaching, so if you've been thinking of breaking up with someone, you'll want to move quickly. (laughs) Um... Inside Hook reports you might as well just end things now as there is always going to be some excuse not to pull the trigger and break things off. The longer you wait, the easier it's going to be to talk yourself out of doing it at all. They do point out that it is likely that the person already knows that you've been thinking about it anyway, and it really will not come as a a shock, nor will it ruin their Christmas holiday. In fact, one could argue that it's Even worse, to break up with someone after Christmas than before. Doing it now means there's still some built-in seasonal cheer to soften the blow. Okay. In addition, if you break up with someone now, you won't waste money on a gift, and neither will they. So, (laughs) no time like the present. I just love the, the lead sentence of that story. Christmas is fast approaching, so if you've been thinking of breaking up with someone, better do it now. <laughs> well, all right then. We'll put that on our to-do list. Um, speaking of breakups and things like that, you know, one of the problems with communicating with others in the digital age is that the intention of a message can sometimes get lost. For example, something you intend as a joke might be taken seriously, or vice versa, I suppose. But uh, but especially something it's especially problematic when something you say, quote unquote, say via text message or email is taken more seriously than intended, and it's pretty common since you cannot decipher tone of voice, or see someone's expression. Now, emojis were developed to help people express emotion in printed form and relay some of that context that is missing in the printed word versus the spoken word for both texts and emails. So, hence, we get these emojis to convey those missing emotions. But they, as it turns out, are not perfect either. A new study finds that people can use and perceive emoji differently. Uh, In particular, men and women 
are have distinct differences in the way they interpret the emoji. In a study, a computer uh, in a study published in the journal Computers and Human Behavior. Participants between the ages of 17 to 35 said they mainly use emoji when they are messaging friends and relatives, and they very rarely use emoji in official communications, like with teachers or bosses, which is probably a good idea. But women, and this is what is really interesting, women tend to see emoji as showing more intense emotions than men both positively and negatively Uh, among the examples the surprise face with the eyebrows raised that is a slightly positive that generates a slightly positive reaction among men but slightly negative among women the neutral face with a line for the mouth that looks neutral to men but negative to women. And when both men and women agreed an emoji was a positive thing, like a smiley face, women saw it as more positive than did men. So here we have these emoji that were supposed to help us relay emotions in the printed form or in the uh, text message or, or email world. And we can't even agree on what those emoji mean. So kind of interesting. I, I may have to uh, do a sort of uh, grassroots experiment uh, with my wife and, and say, what is, what is your reaction? So do that with your, your spouse, your boyfriend, girlfriend, your kids, and just kind of test that out. Show them an emoji and say, what does this, what emotion does this generate? What uh, reaction do you have when you see that uh, emoji? You might be surprised. I just thought that was uh, that was kind of interesting. Uh, let's see. A couple of other uh, items among the first things you need to know this morning as we get your Wednesday morning start. You, rem- you realize that last week, this was the last day of the week. <laughs> this week, we're only halfway through. Just wanted to point that out. First day of December, Christmas, right around the corner as the season approaches. There are sure to be a few questions from curious children about uh, old St. Nick. Uh, If you have ever had your kids ask, and I'm glad I never had my kids ask this, because I don't know how I would have answered, but if you've ever had your kids ask how tall is Santa and how much exactly does he weigh, Uh, Luckily, there are online resources that can help you address these queries. The North American Aerospace Defense Command's beloved NORAD Tracks Santa program, and we've talked about that on this program numerous times, NORAD Tracks Santa. Um, They say that Santa stands about 5'7 and weighs around 260 pounds. So now you know. I don't know where they got their information but if it comes from NORAD, I'm not going to question it. <laughs> Five, seven, 260 pounds. And by the way, that is before his round the world cookie binge. So that's just his uh, base weight. <laughs> so how much he weighs after his flight on Christmas Eve, that I couldn't tell you. And by the way, speaking of snacks, this may be the best news you hear all day. 
This is big. Walmart is now selling a kit to make a family-sized Twinkie at home. What is that you say? Walmart is selling Hostess Party-Sized Twinkies baking kits. The Party-Sized Twinkie baking kit comes with a special Twinkie-shaped baking pan, cake mix, cream filling mix, and instructions for making your giant family-sized Twinkie. Says each kit yields one party-sized cake that that can be sliced into about 12 servings. So... There you go. That is, <laughs> I got to get me one of those. And maybe the best news of all today. There you go. Some of the most uh, interesting and buzzworthy, dare I say, most important stories to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast, partly to mostly cloudy today with a high of 47. Mostly cloudy tonight, a low of 42. The Hancock County Sheriff's Office believes four recent residential break-ins are related. The Sheriff's Office says four garages were entered on Friday night into Saturday morning. Two were in the area of State Route 12 and County Road 128, and the other two were in the area of County Road 139 and County Road 95. Anyone who might have information about the break-ins is urged to get a hold of the Sheriff's Office, and we have their contact information on our website. Ohio U.S. Senator Rob Portman delivered a 45-minute speech on the Senate floor calling the rise of drug overdose deaths the epidemic within the pandemic. Senator Portman called for a crackdown on drug dealers and fentanyl, as well as improving assistance for those who are struggling with addiction. Washington can and should be a partner to the state and local groups on the ground every day working to combat this crisis. We've got to all work together to find constructive solutions to the addiction epidemic and ensure more Americans don't suffer in silence. Senator Portman says about 80 percent of all opioid overdoses in Ohio in the pandemic have been caused by fentanyl, and the senator is calling for it to be put into the same category as heroin and LSD. That's ONN's Tracy Townsend reporting. Get more on our website. You may be familiar with the Story Walk at Riverside Park in Findlay, and now there's a new one in Benton Ridge. Sarah Clevidence is director of the Findlay-Hancock County Public Library. Story Walk is a great opportunity for families to enjoy the experience of reading together while also exploring one of our great local parks. And Sarah says the library's new Story Walk can be found at Benton Ridge Park. Get more details on our website. The Ohio Department of Transportation is still in need of a few more snowplow drivers to round out their winter roster. And ODOT District 1 will be holding a hiring event for snowplow drivers on Thursday. Across District 1's eight counties, ODOT is still looking for about a dozen more seasonal highway technicians. The biggest need is on the eastern side of the district, especially in Wyandotte and Hardin counties. We have a link where you can apply on our website. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. It is a big day today for both supporters of and opponents of the Supreme Court's nearly 50-year-old Roe v. Wade decision. The court will hear arguments today in a Mississippi abortion case that some believe could lead to a reversal of Roe. At a minimum, it will be the most significant test of President Trump's conservative reshaping of the court over the past several years. And joining us to uh, unpack it all 
is Dr. Scott Gerber, a law professor at Ohio Northern University's Pettit School of Law, Associated Scholar at Brown University's Political Theory Project, and uh, our uh, go-to expert on all things Supreme Court. And uh, Scott, first of all, let me let me start with the, this question because this is not the first challenge to Roe v. Wade that the Supreme Court has taken up over the past half century or so. Is there something about this case that has people believing that it could uh, lead to a reversal of that decision? Is there something inherently about this particular case, or is it just the timing and the current makeup of the court uh, that uh, is giving people that, uh, that thought? Yeah, you're, you're correct. The, uh, the court has expressly reaffirmed Roe on three occasions over the years, in 1983, in 1986, and most importantly in 1992 in the Casey case. And really the only difference this time through is uh, there are now six conservative justices mm-hmm. on the court, and uh, the right is really pushing hard, as it has ever since Roe was decided right. uh, to get rid of it. Yeah. Uh, and is it an all-or-nothing kind of thing? I mean, can you envision uh, a, a outcome where they can uphold the uh, Mississippi law without reversing Roe, where they, where they can leave Roe intact and uphold the, the Mississippi uh, law? Well, the two um, parties to the case don't think so, and the United States, which has filed a friend of the court brief, doesn't think so. They think either Roe uh, is overruled and they uphold the Mississippi uh, law, or Roe is reaffirmed and they strike the Mississippi law. Uh, You know, I guess they could move the point of uh, when a state can regulate abortion earlier in the uh, uh, in the pregnancy, you know, mm-hmm. maybe to 10 weeks or 12 weeks or something like that. But that would be the only way I think they could do it. Now, uh, just as with any case, with any big case uh, going in, everybody kind of tries to look for clues as to, you know, which way the court may be leaning on this. There is has been no ruling uh, in the Texas case uh, that they uh, heard several weeks ago uh, on abortion and the uh, the Texas law, do we read anything into that? Is the court maybe waiting to issue both rulings at the same time? What do you make of that, or is there anything worth making of that? Um, they, they might wait and decide them both at once. Uh, and it was uh, concerning to pro-choice folks that, the court didn't at least stay the Texas law, you know, pause it until they decided uh, whether Roe is uh, still good precedent or not. Mm -hmm. Um, So I suppose um, uh, the two are kind of joined at the hip, although the Texas law is more about evading court review. That was the kind of trick in that case. And Mm -hmm. I don't think any, I don't, I don't think most of the justices appreciated the fact that that statute was written specifically to avoid a judge deciding whether it was constitutional or not. So they'll probably get rid of that one on that basis. So uh, conceivably, they could strike down that law and potentially uphold the Mississippi law and overturn Roe v. Wade all at the same time, potentially. Potentially, correct, because the Texas law would have... uh, consequences for other types of laws where that sort of trick 
to evade a court review would be yeah. just put in a law about free exercise of religion or anything like that. Speaking of consequences of the law, you wrote an op-ed in the Daily Caller uh, this week arguing that this case, the the Mississippi uh, uh, abortion law, uh, and potentially overturning Roe v. Wade could uh, have a, a major implications for the long-standing legal principle of stare decisis. Cor- correct. And what's interesting about this case for me is both sides of the case, those that want Roe overruled and those that want it reaffirmed, point to stare decisis uh, to justify their position. And it can't. it can't be. So one of the sides is sort of reinventing what stare decisis means. And on that point, the right is actually picking up Justice Thomas's theory of stare decisis. And he doesn't think that stare decisis, which has let a prior decision stand, mm-hmm. unless there's a really good reason to overrule it, applies um, it, when you're interpreting the Constitution, because the Constitution is a written text and you're supposed to interpret that. Whereas uh, stare decisis or originated as a, as a, a common law uh, device, i.e. when a judge decides, say, a negligence case, and the court defines negligence in a certain way, and then there's another negligence case. Those aren't textual cases. Those are just judge-made law cases. So that's, that's the theoretical difference, and Clarence Thomas is actually the one that came up with that. So, from the legal standpoint, this is significant, not just because we're talking about the uh, highly charged issue of abortion, but because there may be larger implications here that go far beyond this particular, uh, this particular case. Is it possible that concerns over stare decisis and the precedent that this would set... Uh, that that could be uh, certainly a factor in the Supreme Court's ultimate decision, but it could, but could it be an even larger factor than this one case? I mean, do they? To what extent will they be looking at that uh, when they mull over their decision? Yeah, I think they'll. I think they'll look at it a lot. You know, Roberts. Um, he issued a decision uh, in dissent in uh, the uh, 2006 Abortion Act. Uh, I'm sorry, 2016 Abortion Access case mm-hmm. in dissent, and then in 2020, uh, an almost identical law in a, from a different state was before the court, and he voted with the majority because of stare decisis. So he takes it seriously. Thomas will say something probably about it, and he'll probably just repeat his argument that if, if as a matter of constitutional text. Uh, Roe was wrong at the get-go, it's wrong now, and you overrule it. Uh, Kavanaugh, in one of these more recent uh, abortion access cases, and also in another criminal uh, uh, um, uh, jury uh, case, came up with a a little uh, test of stare decisis on his own. So I think he might want to use this case to uh, sort of flesh out what he used stare decisis to be, and then Amy Coney Barrett also, when she was a law professor, had written about Starry Sisis and things like that. So, yes, I think many of them will use this as an opportunity to say something important about Starry Sisis. 
So given that fact, uh, because as we mentioned, this is at a minimum viewed by many as the most significant test of President Trump's conservative reshaping of the court uh, during his time as president. If they should reaffirm Roe once again uh, in this case, would that be considered uh, a, a failure of those uh, new justices that they placed on the court, that they got confirmed to the court, largely with the idea of addressing this issue spe- specifically, because there are so many other uh, legal issues uh, that will factor in to this as well, beyond just the abortion question. Is it fair to uh, use this to say, well, this was a, a failure of the uh, conservative realignment of the court if they don't overturn Roe v. Wade. Yes, and a, a lot of uh, folks on the right are saying that. They're saying that if this makeup with six uh, Republican nominees yeah. doesn't overrule Roe, then the conservative legal movement has essentially failed, and they would be really angry at the Federalist Society in particular, because the Federal Society has had such a, a leading role in suggesting nominees. <clears throat> and so I read something just the other day that if they don't overturn Roe, they're going to try to uh, um, uh, minimize the role the Federal Society has in recommending hmm. uh, judicial nominees to Republican president. Yeah, so, <clears throat> so a lot of potential implications here uh, beyond uh, just the initial obvious question. How soon do you, would you expect a uh, ruling uh, on this? This can take uh, quite a long time before we actually get a ruling from the court. The arguments will be heard today, but uh, the ruling may not uh, come down for weeks yet. Yeah, I think it's going to come out on the last day of the, of the current term, which is going to be the last business day in June. Okay. So uh, it'll be a while uh, before we know for sure, but a lot will be uh, said and written in the meantime, I'm sure. A lot of folks will be paying attention to those arguments today before the Supreme Court. Uh, Dr. Scott Gerber, again, uh, professor of law, Ohio Northern University Pettit School of Law, Associated Scholar at Brown University's Political Theory Project. Scott, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. You're welcome, Chris. Of course, travel has been the big story heading into the holiday season, specifically the return thereof. Liz DeBold Fusco is communications lead for North America at Airbnb. And Liz, I want to ask you this uh, to kind of get your perspective on it as an industry insider and industry expert. How will this year's holiday season impact overall travel trends in the sense of is this a, just a return of travel for the holiday, or is travel back for good? Yeah, you know, I think what we really are, are starting to see is actually just a transformation in how we travel. Um, that's really brought on in part by a really rapid transformation in how we work over this past year with remote working. Uh, there's a lot of new flexibility that consumers have that's impacting how we travel. And then on top of that, the other major thing that we're seeing right now is the U.S. is reopening its borders. The U.S. is historically been the largest inbound travel market in the world, now reopened to international guests. 
So all of that combined, it is making for a really busy and exciting holiday travel season. And then also, you know, looking beyond really exciting uh, end of 2021 into 2022. Uh, So there's two things that we're seeing, though, heading into the end of the year. The first is there is tremendous interest in holiday travel. That is no surprise after so much time spent apart. Right. uh, Many are looking forward to reuniting with loved ones uh, and are traveling to do so. As of the end of September, we had over 40% more nights booked for Thanksgiving week in the U.S. than even at the same time in 2019, people are traveling not only to reunite with family, but also they're going to destinations known for holiday festivities and light shows, going to college football towns to see a game. Um, the other thing that we're seeing is as you re- U.S. borders reopen, that pent-up demand for, for international travel travel is really revealing itself. Uh, Just last week alone, the first week since U.S. borders reopened, we saw that Airbnb hosts in more than 4,000 destinations across the U.S. actually welcomed foreign guests. So that's going to continue into the end of the year as well. Well, Certainly uh, a well-needed shot in the arm for the industry, no pun intended. Of course, the other big story this season has been the supply chain shortages and shipping delays that could hamper holiday shopping. And you point out Now, this is actually one way to skip all of that stress of holiday shopping, but still give a gift that everyone will love. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think everyone, as you said, is is particularly stressed this year heading into the holiday shopping season, worrying about those shipping delays. And that's on top of the stress of already, you know, running around, trying to get to every store in the mall. I know I leave all of my holiday shopping to the last minute. Um, So, you know, actually, we're really seeing gift cards are emerging as a top choice for many this year, um, with particular interest among baby boomers and among women. And now the Airbnb gift card is here right in time to, to give the gift of travel this year. Check everybody off your list and, and save a little bit of stress. Yeah, that's one of the things. I mean, you know, giving the gift of travel sounds like a really cool thing. But how exactly do you do that? And you have your own gift card program. Tell us about this. Yeah, so Airbnb offers digital gift cards for purchase at airbnb.com slash gift cards. You can purchase them there and they'll be delivered to your loved one by text or email. You can actually also buy Airbnb gift cards in stores, which I think a lot of people don't realize. You can see a list of participating retailers actually at airbnb.com slash gift cards as well. And I think the really cool thing about Airbnb gift cards is that once the gift card has been applied to your Airbnb account, it never expires. So even if you want to give the gift of travel to somebody who's maybe not looking to travel right away, uh, that that gift card will be waiting for them whenever they're ready to book their trip. Um, Airbnb gift cards are also now available in eight countries. They used to just be available in the U.S. Now they're available in Canada and the U.K. and Australia and all around the world. Uh, and actually already more than half a million Airbnb gift cards have been purchased just in the past year alone. And you actually have uh, not just uh, stays, the uh, uh, accommodations that Airbnb is famous for, uh, but you have uh, getaways and virtual adventures uh, that you are offering for this holiday season specifically. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The Airbnb gift card really unlocks access to all the different offerings on our platform from those unique homes, but also to our one-of-a-kind Airbnb experiences, which are activities available on both, you know, both online and in person. Uh, These range from cooking classes to amazing history tours. Um, They're just really incredible as well. Uh, And, you know, I think, you know, on the Airbnb, the Airbnb stays themselves can be experiences too and adventures in their, in, you know, of their own right. Uh, Days range from quaint cottages to cozy cabins. 
You can even book an entire island on Airbnb. You can book the Big Potato Hotel and literally stay in a Big Potato in Idaho. The <laughs> options are really endless. And I think the other thing I just want to note is that one thing we've really committed to doing over the past year is continually updating our platform to meet the changing needs of travel, to make it easier than ever to find the perfect Airbnb home. We've introduced over 150 innovations this year. One of my favorite is something called Verified Wi-Fi, which actually allows you to check out the speed of the Wi-Fi in your listing uh, when you're looking to book it. So for remote workers, that's great. You can see the speed of your Wi-Fi, uh, make sure that your Airbnb listing will be able to keep up with Zoom or streaming or any of your needs. And again, all of that makes an Airbnb gift card just a really great and versatile gift this year. Again, Liz DeBold Fusco is communications lead for North America at Airbnb, talking about the return of travel and travel as a great gift idea for the holiday season. Uh, Liz, where do we get more information? Yep, holiday shoppers can go to airbnb.com slash gift cards. Again, you can go there, get a digital gift card. You can check out where you can get a physical gift card as well. And then, of course, you, know, you can always go to airbnb.com if you want to book a stay on your own. You want to book one of those experiences we were just talking about, or even if you're learned, interested in learning about how you can become an Airbnb host as well. Hey, uh, why not give yourself a gift? We were talking about this the other day. Everybody is uh, putting uh, themselves on their uh, gift-giving list as well. We deserve a little, uh, a little love for ourselves after everything we've been through over the past year so why not liz uh, thanks very much for taking the time we appreciate it thank you happy holidays and now it is time for our ongoing keeping the faith series you know even the smallest decisions we make in life can have the greatest impact and if you've spent any time on this earth at all You know that. Even the the smallest decisions can have huge consequences, both positively and negatively. The good news is that when those decisions don't turn out the way we expect or the consequences are not what we uh, anticipated or or not something that we don't like, the consequences of those decisions, God's Word assures us that it is never too late to make a U-turn. Correspondent John Clemens reports this morning, Keeping the Faith. By aligning your life choices under the Word of God while pursuing an intimate relationship with Him, we're promised the abundant life Christ has for us. Dr. Tony Evans, Senior Pastor of the 10,000-member Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, Texas, tells us his latest book, U-Turns, is about the consequences we all have made in life. A life brings consequences. It brings consequences because of wrong decisions we make. It brings consequences because of the sins of other people that affect us. And it brings consequences just because we live in a sinful world. But yet God can either override those consequences, reverse those consequences, or heal us through those consequences. And it shows how God does that process when we are participating with him. U-Turns concludes his latest series of books about God's direction over our lives. It started with detours, looking at how God twists and turns us into his will with Joseph. Then it went to Esther with the book Pathways, which shows how God's provident uh, determines things. And this third book, which is U-Turns, shows how God can help us to reverse the consequences in our lives. Dr. Evans reminds us, Most of us would like to redo portions of our lives differently. 
there's a rare person that can't look back and uh, with some level of regret, and if they could do a do-over, would have changed uh, uh, a decision or a series of decisions that they made which uh, led to negative events in their lives. But the good news is that God's grace can invade and overrule our consequences on whatever level that his sovereign purposes decides. In U-Turns, Dr. Evans writes a lot about the life of Moses. Moses had a consequence that lasted 40 years after he made a decision at 40 that would uh, take him in a whole other direction from where he was. But God met him and reversed the, uh, the direction of his life. And that's why it's good to know that my mistakes don't have to have the last say-so in my life, that God's grace, his goodness, his forgiveness, his empowerment is still available to me when I come back to him. Dr. Evans believes readers of U-Turns will find hope. This book is for anybody who wants to see God reverse some negative things that they are having to live through, or they know someone who needs a reversal. We go through the book with a number of kinds of reversals that cause consequences, whether it's emotional or whether it's addictions or whether it's relational. This book is designed to give you hope that God has not forsaken you in spite of what you're going through. Many people today are living without hope. God is a God of hope. And when you lose hope, you've lost everything. Because you cannot have much, but if you have that one thing called hope, because hope always means where you're going is better than where you are. It's a future-oriented orientation. And far too many people are living without hope, which means they're losing. So many others are living with regrets, feeling they're too late in life to turn it around. If you're in a race and uh, you have uh, fallen way behind because, you know, you didn't run like you should have run, the more you spend time regretting that, the slower you're going to get toward reaching the finish line. What a racer has to do is while they can't go back to the starting line, what they can do is speed up where they are to make up for lost time previously. So rather than spending all of your time in the rearview mirror, let's look at the windshield, speed up our pace, and make up some ground. Seek his purpose in your pain from all those negative decisions. What God usually wants when he allows us to go through things is to take us to a deeper level with him. So when God let Paul go through a messenger of Satan that was messing with him, he says he did it so that he would discover a greater understanding of grace. So ask God for his purpose in your pain and make sure you have dealt with what you need to deal with so he is free to do what he desires to do. Dr. Evans would like you to turn your life around. It's always good to know when you're going down the wrong road that there's an exit <laughs> so that you can, you can cross over and come back the other side. There is an exit, there is an overpass, and there is an on-ramp for you to go back in the direction. And if you ever gone on a long trip, you always will notice it seems to be less time coming back than it was going, and that's because you're coming home. Here's how to find out more information from Dr. Tony Evans. TonyEvans.org. If you'll go on our national website, TonyEvans.org, it lets you know about uh, all the books we have, our study Bible, our Bible commentary, our uh, outreach programs, TonyEvans.org. This is John Clemens reporting. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. 
Let's see what we have in the broken news today. Sometimes you don't have to go very far to find the broken news. Um, About uh, two or three weeks ago, police in Broadview Heights, Ohio, this is over the uh, Cleveland area, were dispatched to Royalton Road after someone reported a woman passed out behind the wheel of a car. The caller said the woman had awakened and had just left the parking lot at uh, this business. As police spotted the car as it entered Interstate 77 southbound, when officers pulled it over and spoke to the driver, they noticed the faint scent of alcohol. She denied drinking and told the officer she had just dropped off her grandchild in a nearby suburb. (laughs) Police say she was slurring her words and acting confused. She failed a field sobriety test and was arrested for drunken driving when police searched her car They found an open bottle of vodka as well as two straws and a powdery substance which tested positive for cocaine. (laughs) That is a a really rough day all the way around right there. Uh, She faces multiple charges. (laughs) Grandmother. North Royalton. That's a rough day. Um, Let's see. A 36-year-old man in... Bethesda, Maryland, the name of Mark Shuta, is charged with uh, theft, one count, in connection with an incident at a local food store uh, there in uh, Bethesda, when Mr. Shuta was informed that his health insurance would not cover the cost of his uh, medications. He allegedly grabbed the erectile dysfunction and insomnia medications and fled the store. <laughs> Uh, I'm just imagining uh, how he explains that to his cellmates. When it, what are you in for? Well, I stole some Viagra. <laughs> well, you gotta you gotta determine whether it's whether it's worth the risk. <laughs> you know, you always have to weigh the possible downsize the risk and reward equation. You know, with that, <laughs> is, is it worth the risk? Apparently, he believed it was. Uh, if convicted of the charge, uh, Mr. Shooter could face six, six months in jail and up to $500 in fines. So. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Speaking of thefts, uh, some thieves in Hawaii uh, really need to go back to better planning, I think, is, the, is what you know, did in these thieves. A pair of thieves posing as delivery men tried to rob a jewelry store in Waikiki. Uh, The owner of Poseidon Jewelry says on Sunday afternoon, two men walked into the store and immediately headed behind the counter. Uh, They were dressed as delivery men. One tried to get an employee to accept a cardboard box, a delivery for a cardboard box. You're signed for this, but uh, it turned out to be an empty box. Uh, that turned to be turned out to be a ruse to distract the employee, while the other used uh, the distraction to make a move for the jewelry. The alert employee, though, realized it was a robbery, shoved the man with the box, and as this was happening, the other man was trying to pry open the display counter with a crowbar. <laughs> the pair finally gave up um, and walked out of the store uh, without any merchandise. <laughs> whole thing was just not planned very well. They did cause about $2,000 worth of damage to the display case, though, in the process. So they are uh, being sought. Um, 
Madison, Wisconsin, police uh, were led on a high-speed chase before the stolen vehicle uh, was uh, involved in an automobile accident. vehicle crashed. Police pursued the driver uh, on foot uh, after the, uh, the car chase ended. Uh, they eventually caught up with the 13-year-old... 13-year-old behind the wheel of a stolen vehicle crashed it during rush hour. Police say the strong scent of marijuana eventually led authorities to the teenager who is hiding in the stairwell of a nearby building. 13 years old. <clears throat> Speaking of uh, car accidents, um, car accidents themselves, not necessarily a strange occurrence worthy of the broken news, but finding the driver naked behind the wheel is a little unusual. Uh, authorities are currently investigating a crash in Spring Valley, California, involving a luxury SUV, a naked driver, and a toddler who was in the car. Uh, according to the local ABC News affiliate, uh, officers at the scene of the incident said workers at a nearby convenience store saw a blue Maserati crash into a pole of a and a uh, fence of a used car lot. The investigation is still underway. There is currently no reasoning for why the woman was driving around in the nude. However, however, authorities suspect that intoxicating substances may have played a role. Fortunately, the woman and the toddler, uh, who was a passenger in the vehicle, were not seriously injured. <laughs> Apparently, she was wearing nothing but her seatbelt, I guess. And lastly, in the broken news this morning... A store in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, is hoping for the safe return of its mascot, Giggles, a children's store in Baton Rouge, posted on social media that a gummy bear statue outside of the store has disappeared. Owner Whitney Coleman tells local news reporters that a lot of kids have come in and talked about how much they miss the gummy bear statue outside of Giggles. She said the store will not pursue charges or ask any questions if the statue is returned. If you know the whereabouts of the giant gummy bear statue at Giggles, Baton Rouge, let authorities know. No questions asked. There you go. What an unusual thing. Why would you steal a giant gummy bear statue? I mean, what, is there uh, some sort of black market for gummy bear statues, giant gummy bear statues that I don't know about? I, you'd think getting rid of that would be difficult. Anyway, there you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. Uh, this update of the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Most of us expected the government to have the COVID-19 virus under control by now. And while the numbers are lower, there are still concerns. Officials are urging children as young as age five to get the COVID vaccination. But perhaps you have questions. How safe is this vaccine? And do we know the long-term effects children may face? The future is foggy, and that's why will continue to provide you with the latest information on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Uh, this is another one of the consequences that maybe we didn't expect of the global pandemic. Countries around the world produced about 8.4 million tons of excess plastic waste over the course of the past uh, year to 18 months. 
Well, through August of this year, the data is through August of this year, uh, during the course of the COVID-19 pandemic, 8.4 million tons of excess plastic waste. Uh, That's according to an estimate by researchers in an article published by the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Now, if you think about it, you think, well, probably a lot of PPE, right? Personal protective uh, equipment and all of that, this single-use stuff that we just toss away. Um, And it is true, just over 87% of this excess waste has been generated by hospitals, uh, though discarded PPE, such as face masks and gloves, accounts for less than 8% of it overall. So, yes, hospitals have been producing a lot more, but not uh, PPE specifically. Virus testing kits and their packaging accounted for about 5% of the excess waste, according to the research. North and South America account for less than 25% of this pandemic-related plastic waste, despite the fact that North and South America have recorded about 70% of the world's COVID-19 cases. So that is the upside of this, that, again, these are global numbers, but in North and South America, we've been fairly efficient. 70% of the cases of COVID-19, but only 25% of the excess pandemic-related plastic waste but still 8.4 million tons of excess plastic waste over the course of the COVID-19 pandemic through August of this year is alarming to many environmentalists and understandably so. Joining us this morning is Sarah Sisser from the Hancock Historical Museum to tell us what's happening in the month of December at the museum, uh, what is new in history, as they say, uh, so to speak. Sarah, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. Uh, a couple of things that you morning, Chris. Some of the things that you've got going on. Uh, first of all, um, another brown bag uh, lunch lecture, last of the year, uh, coming up tomorrow. What are we talking about? That's right. So our brown bag lecture series, of course, the first Thursday of the month, we'll have that tomorrow at noon. And tomorrow we have Dr. Ed Lent uh, joining us. He's actually a member of our board of trustees at the Hancock Historical Museum. He's okay. also our Hancock County Ag Extension agent. I was going to say a lot of um, folks will, will be talking. A lot of folks will uh, recognize that name. Yeah. Yes, especially your audience. Yes, they will. Um, and Ed will be talking with us about. The History of Agriculture in the Midwest, um, the title of his lecture is actually Feed the Family to Feed the World. It's a historical look at agriculture from the Midwest homestead to modern times. So I think a lot of people will really enjoy um, his perspective on that. Of course, Ed has a PhD um, in crop production, so a really a knowledgeable individual who um, not only has uh, a really specific knowledge of our local history and local agriculture Mm. now uh, in contemporary times, but also just um, a broader perspective uh, across the Midwest. Well, yeah, we're really looking forward to that. And and this is a a great time for that because uh, obviously, uh, you know, the holiday season so much uh, is centered around food. And as we know, uh, this is the biggest uh, industry in Hancock County. So uh, really should be fascinating to learn some of the history behind how we got to where we are. Yeah, absolutely. So I hope folks will join us for that. It's our last lecture of the year, and um, we encourage people to come a little bit early to get a good seat. And uh, it's it's 
free and open to our members of the Hancock Historical Museum and just $3 if you're not a member. All right. Later on in the month, uh, you've got a uh, holiday-themed classic movie night. That's right. So our last program um, of the year will be on December 17th, our classic movie night, free and open to the public. The movie is screened at 7 o'clock. And this year it will be Christmas in Connecticut as our holiday um, movie. So we encourage people to come out and join us for that. It's a great date night. We'll have some refreshments available and get into the holiday spirit. Absolutely. What a great film uh, from a 1945 Christmas in Connecticut. So circle that on the calendar for December 17th. Now, uh, you do have a, a fundraiser going on in the month of December. We've talked about this uh, in the past, uh, stuff from the Historical Museum, whether it's a membership or uh, one of the items from the gift shop make a, a great gift idea. Uh, you've got a uh, special fundraiser going on that ties into the holiday season as well. That's right. You know, if you're looking for a unique gift, I would encourage people to come out and check out our gift shop. We have some wonderful Finley-specific gifts for folks, including Finley Glass, which makes a wonderful gift. Um, Also, this year, we're doing our Friends of the Founders campaign. So if you make a minimum $50 contribution to the Hancock Historical Museum, you'll receive a commemorative ornament. Um, This year's ornament is made by Jason Wagner. He's a local Finley High School art teacher, um, as well as a ceramic artist. Um, It's a beautiful ornament, and so you'll receive one of those um, for your gift to the museum. So, again, a minimum $50 contribution, and uh, just need to make that contribution before the end of the calendar year to receive the commemorative ornament. And how do folks do that? Can we do that online? Do we have to uh, stop by? How uh, does that work? You can. Either way, you could send in a check. You can uh, visit our website at HancockHistoricalMuseum.org and make a contribution through our website with a credit card or stop in and see us. And uh, as we said, uh, some other while you're there at the museum, you can check out the uh, gift shop, some other uh, great ideas for someone you might be stumped for that loves uh, local history. Uh, And also, last opportunities to uh, visit the museum uh, this year. As folks may know, you are uh, typically closed in the month of January to sort of um, refurbish, refresh, and and uh, put out new exhibits and, and so on. So this is going to be the uh, last chance this month to get to see some of what you've had uh, on display through the year. That's right. Our last day open uh, for 2021 will be December 23rd. That's a Thursday. Um, And then we will close throughout the month of January, as we usually do, to put up some new exhibits. And we look forward to re-welcoming people uh, to the museum in February. I also want to mention that this weekend is a wonderful time to come to the museum. We have our Christmas open house. Um, This weekend, Saturday evening from 5 to 8 p.m. and Sunday from 1 to 4 p.m. It's just a dollar admission and we'll have crafts and games um, for the kids as well as um, some great decorations, holiday decorations in our historic hall house. Um, some refreshments available, and uh, again, a great time to um, stop in and check out our gift shop. And uh, some live music, I understand, as well. That's right. We have a string quintet coming uh, to play for us from the Finley High School. So uh, they will play in the historic hall house and really set the scene um, for a wonderful uh, holiday weekend. So uh, a perfect uh, thing to put on your calendar uh, this weekend, really, whenever you get a chance uh, through the month of December, drop by the uh, Historical Museum and uh, check it out. As we said, the uh, museum is uh, typically closed uh, the month of uh, January, and uh, you uh, put together uh, new exhibits for 2022. you have any sneak previews of uh, anything that you're looking at for the uh, new year? 
Yes, I can give you a little bit of a sneak preview. Um, we have two exhibits that we're really excited about, excited about um, opening in February. The first will be a look at some of the local rock bands that played here in the 1960s, as ah. well as the music venues that they played at throughout Finley and Hancock County. Okay. Um, which I know a lot of folks um, that have caught wind of this exhibit are really excited. We've been able to interview some of the people that played in these bands. Um, and I know a lot of people will have memories of seeing these bands play um, throughout the community. Uh, and we also have another exhibit opening about Finley in the 1950s, during the 1950s, mm. um, and just the historical context of the decade, um, nationally and locally, what was happening. So we're looking forward to that one as well. It's always fun when we do exhibits um, or do lectures about more modern history mm-hmm. because people have memories. And so um, there's a lot of nostalgia there and people enjoy reminiscing. And and that's such a, a wonderful uh, decade in that those post-war years. Uh, so that we will definitely look forward to. And uh, when we uh, talk to you again in the new year, we'll get more details on those. In the meantime, again, Brown Bag Lunch Lecture is tomorrow. The open house this week weekend and a classic movie night on the 17th right 17th 17th. okay so circle those dates on your calendar more information at the website sarah sisser the hancock historical museum thanks very much thanks so much chris and that will put a wrap on our podcast for today thanks again to all of our guests for joining us on the program and remember you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. You can find us online at goodmornings.net. You can also sign up for our daily email newsletter. Check us out on social media. Links to our Facebook and Twitter pages are there. there's something you want to send us, uh, you can email us directly with the link of the webpage, goodmornings.net. We are always on 24-7 on the World Wide Web. Till tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.